This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. All the way from the A, you listen to my favorite lesbian on BRQ. Hey, stay locked in with your favorite lesbian on Black Radical Queer. Yeah. Hey y'all, this is Javi Nicole, aka your favorite lesbian, and you're listening to Black Radical Queer Podcast, our stories on our own terms. Before diving into this episode, I want to take a moment to tell y'all about Black Radical Queer on Patreon. Patreon is a great way to support the podcast because those contributions help to offset the cost of making this thing happen. So production costs, editing costs, hosting fees, all of the funds from the Patreon go towards supporting that and keeping this podcast moving right on along. Um, Also, there's perks to becoming a patron because you get early access to the episodes and you also get a discount on all BRQ merch. So it's a great way to support. Um, I appreciate my current patrons. And if you want to become a patron, you can do so by going to patreon.com. So Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Black Rat Queer. B-O-K-R-A-D-Q-W-R. Thank you so much for listening. And let's get into this episode. Hey, y'all, this is Javi Nicole. Welcome to another episode of Black Radical Queer Podcast. This particular episode is part of the series Click by BRQ. Click stands for, um, is Q-L-I-C, and that is pronounced click, like I said. Um, and it stands for Queer Love in Color. And so for this series, I want to focus on um, really the love stories of queer people, um, their backgrounds in terms of like what their love style is, who they love, how they came to um, realize who they love, um, what examples they had of queer love, if any, um, what type of representation they've seen or they would like to see. So really doing this exploration of love and relationships and romance um, and all of that through the perspective of queer people of color. So for my guest today, as usual, I'm going to allow her to introduce herself. My guest is Raven. Um, If you um, want to get to know more, you know, as always at the end, I'll make sure to include any like information about um, where to like find them or, you know, things like that. So um, depending on what they're willing to share with (laughs) y'all, they may not want y'all in, they may not want your, you know, want y'all in their business after the episode, but if so, then I'll make sure you have the information. But for now, I'm going to allow, go ahead and allow them to introduce themselves. Hello, my name is Raven. Um, I currently am a Detroit resident. I, um, my pronouns are she, her, they, and I identify as a demisexual, uh, technically pansexual, but very much demisexual. Um, and right now I, I am poly, but right now I'm single. I've been in quite a few poly uh, relationships, both um, while being in the BDSM community and experiencing um, various power dynamics. But uh, yeah, also as a vanilla person, just having as much fun as possible. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me. So so um, so you said that you've had like various types of experiences and things like that. So how did you even, I guess, come to get to know your own identity as a queer person, like coming to this realization that you were demi, that you were pansexual. Um, and then too, for some, I, I do have like a, a broad range of listeners and th- they may not all know what demi is. Sure. Um, so if you could kind of give um, what that means for you specifically. That- no, it's, it's, it's I, I have no problem. I love to explain it. So for me, being demisexual means that I have sexual attraction to people that I have foremost have chemistry with or that I have a um, a really profound or deep connection with. And sometimes it's not, you know, always the case, but most of the time I I get hot for people who I, I knowingly have a, a very strong connection with. And um, if I don't, then I'm a little bit more reluctant to open up to this person romantically, emotionally, sexually. So... Um, and I came into that 
and to realizing number one, um, asking questions about how other people navigated sex, emotional relationships and companionship, and also how they navigated casual sexual encounters too. And just asking questions like, so do you always experience uh, the same sexual attraction for people you meet right away or do you have to wait around? And then, um, so that's kind of how I navigated my, how I gauged my own response to people in that way. And I, I'm be honest with you. I, I didn't always know that I was attracted to multiple, to pretty much the entire spectrum um, of people. I think that when I studied abroad, uh, so I went to Buenos Aires and I got to see, and for people who don't know, it's pretty much you'll see various types of couples making out in the street. And I was like, okay, this is like my sexual ideal utopia for right now. They have like gigantic swingers clubs. I did not get the chance to visit, unfortunately, but what I did notice was that my comfort and my interest in women kind of peaked at this time and I was like 22 so then after I came back that was when I really started exploring um my encounter when I started having encounters with women but also um exploring how the intimacy changed for me and when I was attracted to someone so it I think I just kind of everything kind of evolved from there. I started uh, noticing that I'm more drawn to older women uh, and also to not just women, but like I said, the whole spectrum. So I dated trans people, um, trans women, trans gender non-conforming, non-binary people, asexual, like a a wide range of people. And I noticed that um, if like I said before, if I didn't immediately, um, or I guess after a certain amount of time, feel a connection with me, with them, that would make me continue forward, that I knew it wasn't something that was meant for me. And I always trust my intuition in these matters too. So it's definitely been naturally like, like the behavior of intuition is something that you have to learn over time. So I guess my like sexual, my sexuality or my interests and other people has kind of evolved in that way. Just kind of like a natural exploration and allowing myself to be, um, to trust what spirit tells me. Does it make sense? Sometimes I feel like I'm blabbering when I talk about myself. <laughs> no, um, that makes sense. So, I mean, did you have, <clears throat> prior to you kind of having this exploration for yourself, did you have any kind of examples of... Yeah you know, of these kind of relationships or anything. So prior to you even studying abroad and being able to really see this diverse range of relationships and connections um, just kind of in front of you, prior to that, you know, what what examples were you able to see? Or just to, to kind of let you know that there were, there were a range of possibilities for what love and romance and sex and intimacy and stuff could look like for you. Sure. So... I think that what I had noticed right away when I was down there was that when you see different forms of intimacy being public, it number one, if you're if you're not repulsed like a lot of people who are kind of closed in are, then it immediately makes you kind of question like, I want to see more of that. If it's definitely something that piques your interest, and I had pretty much. Um, I think after I came back, I had a really close girlfriend and at the, at the time she was a friend and she was kind of expressing in a nuanced way. And I knew I liked her, but she expressed in a nuanced way that she had feelings toward me. And we just kind of went from there and naturally it went slow, but, um, I think I always wanted the interaction that I had with her was kind of unique for me because it was the first time where I got to like be comforted and I I wasn't afraid of, I wasn't, um, how do I put this? I wasn't afraid of the person that I was talking to. With me sometimes with men, there is an overtone of this person might not be who they say they are. This person, like if I go on a date with them, 
are they going to attack me? And I'm always thinking about stuff like that too. But I think when I started dating people who were not um, straight, who didn't identify, because she identified as non-binary. When I started dating people who really um, question um, things outside of heteronormativity and cis heteronormativity, uh, heteronormativity, I um, it kind of opened my mind to that. Like I, I had roommates who weren't cis that we had conversations about. I had met their partners that they met. I, you know, I'd sat, I'd watched them fuck a few times, and it, it was kind of like ultimately it was like finding a place where you knew where you were comfortable where you knew that's where those were the kinds of interactions you wanted and experiencing that from somebody that was close to it felt really good and I'm happy I got the chance to kind of see that for not and I was around a lot of white people so seeing it from a person of color was like dope and that that kind of like pushed me or kind of gave me room to explore myself when I came back home. Um, and then even more so when I had entered the lifestyle after that, it was really like all speed ahead. Like you have, there are so many beautiful people that I'm meeting, people who would introduce me so many different experiences, so many different uh, orientations, gender types. There's so many different um different outward expressions of people and how they identify with the various aspects of themselves. So it's been, it's been quite a few, um, it's been an interesting few years. I think I'm, I'm really excited and happy about my sex so far. <laughs> I think I've done a good job. <laughs> um, it's not always been easy to, because when you're kind of around a lot of people who are Christian, who don't necessarily like see eye to eye with you, you question yourself. But I think having the strong intuition that I do have, like it's um, given me a lot of space to kind of affirm and be affirmed, especially with the people that I surround myself by. Like growing up, I would think about kind of like my future and, and what that looked like, you know, the types of uh, what like potential relationships would look like, romantic relationships, um, mm -hmm. having a family and all that kind of stuff. So <clears throat> when you were younger, like a child, what, what did you envision um, your future looking like? Like what did you envision for like love or, you know, did you envision marriage or kids or any of that kind of stuff? And how did that evolve over time? Uh, when I was younger, I I had mostly straight couples around me, and I had mostly a lot of straight experiences. Um, and you know, I bought into <laughs> the typical like you know, one point two children. What is it? Two point five children. White white picket fence type of shit. And um, I imagine myself getting married. You know, to a man and I never I think when I was younger it wasn't the idea or um aspects of queerness weren't necessarily something I was around a lot and it didn't and I wasn't around that until I got older so but but it's funny because looking back like looking back I was more comfortable with the people around me that may have become uh queer later on like I had a neighbor who was probably she was a lesbian then I didn't know she was a lesbian we were like in middle school and I just know I just knew that she dressed like a tomboy and she was always around this one girl that always spent the night at her house not knowing that that was her girlfriend you know my cute little naive self but uh growing older and kind of being around more people kind of unlock those doors because you don't really you don't really know yourself until you're you're in a in a in an environment that tests you and also forces you to ask questions about your existence and forces you to see like, no, this is who you really are. This is um, the exploration, the desire to be in 
um, concert with the various parts of myself was what prompted me to be open to that sexual exploration. And I'm, I'm happy that, you know, I got the chance to be around the people that I've been around. I've been open to being around the people because I would not have experienced half of what half, I would not have been open to half the people that I'm friends with now who have enriched my life greatly. And also too, uh, I haven't been able to see myself and see the beauty of my sexual being and see the beauty of me being open to as many, to the people that I meet on a soul level, not just like, no, I want like, no, I'm just into one particular type of person. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think for me, it, it is more appropriate for me to be open to kinship on various levels with different types of people. So I think um, just my, just being in the world has opened, opened up my, my orientation um, and how I see my sex. So you said that when you were younger, you know, you kind of envisioned what's pretty much like the stereotypical um, future mm-hmm. of like, you know, the picket fence, the house, the, you know, 1.2 kids, the, you know, husband, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And that also you were um, surrounded by a lot of Christians and stuff like that. And that heavily influenced um, kind of what you saw as uh, possible for like, you know, your future and stuff like that. So yeah. how did you, um, because some of that shift away from that started based on my understanding of what you expressed, some of that shift started prior to you studying abroad and like there had to be some type of um, transition for you to be more open. You mentioned like becoming more open to being around different kinds of people, exploring different things. So mm-hmm. what, was there something that was really like the catalyst between, okay, this is all, this is kind of like my view of what I see for my life based on what's been informed by my experiences thus far, my, this background, the people I'm around, I see straightness, I'm taught straightness, you know, like this is what I'm surrounded by shifting from that to, Hey, I'm open to the possibility of something else because that, that in and of itself is a transition. Everybody doesn't necessarily get to a place where they're like, you know, Hey, even though I've been, this is what I've been taught. Um, I'm open to something else being a possibility for me. So it's like, there's, you know, I'm just curious if there was something that, that created that um, openness or whatever that allowed you to shift to that place of being open um, prior to having the, you know, the, the studying abroad and stuff like that. You know, I don't know that. I don't know the answer to that question. Like prior to me going abroad, what was it that allowed me to be more open? Um, because I, I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't always open. I think I wasn't always open sexually because I wasn't like um, sexual until a later age, until after I came back. But I think I've always been open to different people. Always been interested in supporting people, and and that's not to say I was like you know homophobic or I didn't really support gay people no I was definitely in you know gay straight alliances I considered myself an ally for a long time not really knowing like hey girl you might want (laughs) to you might want to go ask yourself some critical questions or just kind of put yourself you know go meet more people um so I don't I don't think I don't think I have a, a, a specific point in time that I can orient myself to where I kind of see as the the opening to that to the window to myself I think it's mostly just my adventurous spirit or I guess just my openness of just learning how to be open and learning one learning adventure at a young age for my Mm -hmm. family I mean that makes sense so it doesn't necessarily have to be like a a specific turning point or anything like that I mean I Mm -hmm. think that you know if it was something that was gradual and it just was kind of like hey I was just you know open and that is you know totally fine too for some like for some folks it may be more abrupt where there's like something that happens and they're like hmm um or for some folks it's a gradual thing and for some folks it's a combination like for me it definitely was a combination of the gradual receptiveness I guess and a point like or a moment or something where or moments where there were kind of little light bulbs uh Mm -hmm. that went off so for instance, I remember, I remember, I mean, growing up, I always knew I liked girls. Um, I liked boys, but um, not like I liked girls. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I recognized that like, oh, yeah. you know, I like, like I would find boys cute and I, you know, I could hang out with them, but there was always something different. Mm-hmm. I always had this like a deeper, almost like an admiration 
for for girls um that i did not have for boys like for boys i'm like oh i like you know i like him he's cool he's cute I, you know he's fun he's smart whatever but i can't say that i it had like admiration that wasn't really a part of it so um but i just remember growing up you know even being real little and like having crushes on girls I have crushes on boys too just liking who i liked and then um when i got to like later on in elementary school i remember like having this friendship which this is something I, I end up thinking back on like later because of how i am now when it comes to just my how i define love and how i love and that kind of thing but i had this friendship <laughs> with this girl and i just adored her and at the time yeah. i didn't have that language but we but as as i got older i look back and i'm like we had a very intimate friendship not necessarily sexual um but very like intimate tender um it's just some of the moments we had i just was looking back at that like we were how old like <laughs> we were like in fifth grade and um i don't know like looking back i can definitely tell like okay yeah you were like mm -hmm. just open you know for this girl and just our the way that we would interact with each other was just very like I don't know the the best word i can think of is definitely tender very just like tender with one another and very close and very intimate and very like vulnerable um and it just was interesting to me and it seemed very mature um and i don't know where that came from it just i don't know we had this like it, it seemed like there was a lot of stuff um that we didn't have to say like we would just kind of give each other looks and we had both been through some similar experiences and stuff like that and so it was like knowing that you had this person who understood you and you didn't have to break everything down um and mm -hmm. so that was like very interesting to me and i just remember it kind of shaking me up like even in fifth grade me just being like this there's something i don't I, my fifth grade mind i'm not quite sure what's up with this but some about this is like really yeah. sticking to me um and then once i got to high school i remember like i i hung around all kinds of people and i was just used to that that's like my mom my grandmother they all they were just like attracted people um all orientations all genders like just and they were just like everybody's family it's whatever mm -hmm. so i was already accustomed to that but when i was in i started high school I was hanging around a bunch of folks and then I, I noticed I mainly hung around like the black queer folks. I didn't, I didn't even think about it that deep. I just like, they actually said something <laughs> to me cause I was like the only one who had not necessarily identified as like queer or anything. And, um, but I would just be hanging around them and just hanging out and whatever. And I remember this girl was just like, Javia, um, you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> and I was like, and, and instead of like, because other people would have probably gotten attitude or like been mm -hmm. like, well, you know, snapped on her. And I literally just kind of stopped and was like, hmm, I hadn't considered that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I just really was just like, huh. Oh, okay. Let me think about that's that. That's interesting. Interesting. Me... Yeah, for real. Um, so that's why, you know, I asked like, okay, was there a moment or whatever? But see, for me, it was like this, ser this series of moments as well as just this gradual thing so once that was stated i really was just like okay i didn't feel any kind of way i was just like hmm like you're not necessarily wrong i don't know if you're right i hadn't really thought about it i knew mm -hmm. how i felt but for some reason i had not really connected the the concept of gayness like to myself i just knew i had always i had never had any doubt about like me liking girls or anything like that or i just had never really considered like this that's the best i can describe it, is like this whole concept of, of gayness or being a lesbian or being bi or anything mm -hmm. um so initially I, I came out as bisexual um because i just wasn't sure honestly i, I have i've always been sure about women i was not sure about men mm -hmm. um and so i was just like i don't know and then um briefly um when i, I was like dating someone who was trans and then i was debating about oh well do i want to like identify as pansexual or whatever but i went through like all this different stuff and i just was like you know queer um i lean more toward lesbian my affinity is for women um and not not just 
cis women to be mm-hmm. very clear because I don't play that. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. play like that exclusionary type of thing, but um, just women, um, typically women and non-binary people is what I lean toward, but definitely more so women, femmes, like that side. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, so it was like a, a series. It was kind of like some moments and also a gradual thing. Um, but I think it's just interesting because as you grow up, and you um, you see different kinds of people, you have different kinds of experiences, you start to factor that into like how you see yourself and what that means and making sense of the world. But also something that um, straight people have the benefit of is that they also get to see that happen in media. Mm -hmm. So it gives you more material to work with, you know, to start to make sense of the world. Like you have more reference points, Mm -hmm. Um, whereas for queer folks, we don't have that. And then a lot of times when we do have that, it is very white. So for you, did you, was there any type of like media, TV, songs, movies, anything that like, that showed any type of representation that intrigued you or piqued your interest or you're just like, hmm, okay, that showed anything outside of just like heteronormativity? It was Tumblr. So when I was like in Tumblr, like, the great era golden years of tumblr and like from like <laughs> 2010 to 2015 black t- tumblr was like the place to be and so much critical work had been done we had the turn people that coined the term misogynoir and mm-hmm. latinx were like literally vibrant on tumblr at that time and we were experiencing waves of being able to describe and in like see each other see our expressions as what we needed them to be and explore it and and allow each other to grow in those expressions and i think seeing so many happy ass black people bipoc people um being gay as fuck in whatever mm-hmm. capacity they wanted to be in whatever expression they felt closely resembled who they were at their essence i think that was a, a really pivotal grown point for me because I had joined Tumblr right while and it's funny because I joined it right when I was in Argentina trying to connect to one of my friends and she was like Mm. doing my blog so I went on there and I was connecting with so many people from around the world like even people I had met um coming back home and that's how I had got out of the reverse culture shock but Mm. I think seeing um seeing so many different queer people from around the world mm-hmm. and seeing us change um seeing number one the term queer having that conversation come up between uh elder elder queer people and younger mm-hmm. queer people was important for me because I needed to understand how the nuances of words affect mm-hmm. us as people who are marginalized. I needed to see how I needed the one thing that I love seeing that even still to this day, I still have a, a fascination and adoration of was seeing masculine black women in, 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 in the most regal forms and um, in discourse about around what it means like i have met uh the members of of brooklyn boyhood i had Mm -hmm. seen a lot of uh black uh trans people go pre and post stop Mm -hmm. and then have discussions about what body dysmorphia is i think it Mm -hmm. was such a critical time for me to from it was so much information i was a lot of that a lot of that um information definitely happened on some it's it's interesting because you know well i'm older than you so there's like um it's kind of happened in different spaces based on age Mm -hmm. and so tumblr you know was kind of like the a a later like wave of that but it was such a such an important like uh format and like vehicle to have um, because it showed so many iterations of queer love, queer sex, queer intimacy. Yes. Um, and especially for people of color. And so to see that um, it's so readily available and for people to be able to just like contribute it themselves. And I feel like it added another layer versus for me when I was younger, um, the thing that was kind of like the, the space for my 
my folks or whatever was downlink um so downlink was really the place where I was able to connect to other queer people of color Mm -hmm. it's where I connected to a lot of um trans people of color and I um because I specifically I had already been a part of downlink or whatever but um I ended up like dating so I had um a former uh an ex or whatever who we had dated like um a while ago prior to his transition and prior to him really kind of like coming into his uh, his gender identity and then we kind of like ran back into each other and ended up dating again and at this point he was like full on into his transition and like you know had plant had scheduled top surgery and all this kind of stuff and so um, for me it was newer territory for me because I had been so accustomed to lesbian relationships like that was what mm-hmm. I was accustomed to um, and so um, I wanted to be more knowledgeable and um, know how to like support him through his surgery and just learn. I mean, I was, I was still yeah. young, but um, I just wanted to have more information. So Downlink had all these different groups and they had a group that was like, I want to say it was called Trans and Friends. I might be wrong, but I really feel like it was called Trans and Friends. And it was like just this queer little mecca. It was so dope. It was like a bunch of trans folks of color, a bunch of queer folks of color, all just mingling. And um, a lot of, there are a lot of trans men um, who really helped me to kind of like understand more about, you know, hey, what might be some ways to best support? And I mean, of course I talked to him too, but just to give me a better understanding and, um, you know, of what are some things or what do you wish like, you know, someone had done for you during your transition or just little mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so it was just a place to soak up knowledge and make these connections. And there are some folks from that time that I am still in, in connection with today. Um, one guy in particular is just like, I call him my brother. Cause like he legit low key looks like he could be my brother. Um, but he, I mean, he just was such a wealth of information and also just a dope ass person. And we just really clicked. Um, so it was awesome. And so to me, I feel like I've seen that happen, like with MySpace, with Black Planet, with, you know, Mm -hmm. Downlink, with Tumblr, with Twitter, having all these different, sometimes with Facebook groups, but having all these different avenues, like online avenues that really bridged communities that allowed us to have conversations across generations across um cultures Mm -hmm. um and across like geographic boundaries um so i think that you mentioned in tumblr definitely um is is something that is important and i I feel like it was a very very useful uh forum that just unfortunately was just ran down um that that really was taken away was snatched away honestly pretty much Um, which which sucks because Tumblr was just, and, and I was a little bit late to Tumblr because I was more so like, I made a lot of connections on Twitter um, after like the downlink age was over or whatever. Um, a lot of connections on Facebook and Twitter, but especially Twitter is in a lot of those folks still to this day, like we're still, you know, connected to mm-hmm. each other. So, um, but then once I found Tumblr though, <laughs> um, Tumblr was a game changer. And I think the difference with that is, each of these different platforms offer something. Um, so I think that with MySpace, um, it allowed a lot of opportunities for one-on-one connection. You messaging someone one-on-one, um, same for Black Planet. I think Downlink, mm-hmm. Downlink had groups. Downlink had like chat groups. And that was really my first experience with an online chat group that people from all over the world can join and talk to each other and, um, and just have a good time. And so it, we were able to connect in that way, but it was still very personal. Tumblr, I feel like introduced the the imagery. So it, it introduced like media, mm-hmm. um, whereas everything else was more so about those intimate interpersonal connections, which is important. Um, but Tumblr also introduced media, like people can share their music by queer artists. People can share um, pictures from photo shoots. People can share, share their love stories, share, you know, they got married. They can share, um, all kind of like Im- they can share erotic images and videos and stuff like that of queer people of color and everybody can access it. And so that was definitely a game changer. Um, and so thinking about this whole concept of like queer love and being able to see it, like actually see it on a screen, um, yeah. Tumblr 
made a huge difference. Um, I think for me, Tumblr and YouTube have been the game changers in regards to that for me to be able to see it. And, and so we, it's just something that we didn't get to, like I um, told other folks, like I did a poll to see like, hey, did y'all see any like black and brown queer love represented? And like 97% of people said no. And I, I asked across all social media platforms oh, and wow. most people, like 97% of the folks who responded said no. So for us to have these avenues, it's so important. So it, to me, it's so messed up that Tumblr is now basically defunct. It is. Um, there's still people on there, uh, but for me, I found Twitter. It's funny. I found Twitter and Tumblr at the same time. Twitter, I, I was on, but then Tumblr was like my main bread and butter. Mm-hmm. And then still in Twitter, I see Twitter more for different like professional and other resources, but Tumblr, like it allowed me to find the words for what I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. It allowed me to and you can find have, some pictures to go with it. <laughs> baby, you did. You know, the image, like, Tumblr is just, yeah. to me, is just so extraordinary when it comes to the Im- Like, I know. I saw then, so many images, like, some of my first images of seeing, like, um, even, um, like, queer power exchange, queer kinky I was just gonna images get to that. and stuff like that. Yes. Was Tumblr. Like, I didn't That's see how I got else. into it. That's how I got in the lifestyle from Tumblr because there's a it was at that time it was a huge t- black mm-hmm. Tumblr community. That was the biggest one. Like that was the biggest yes. black kink community <sighs> online was Tumblr. Like even more so than, you know, Fed and all kinds of stuff. It was Tumblr. Yes. That was like, how that's how my I first, my first time seeing an image of like a um, my first time seeing an image of like a black woman dominant Tumblr. I remember her. She and that has shaped really not just my uh, I, not just my my kink identity and how how I enter spaces like that, but in terms of orientation and sex and how visually how powerful and strong one was. I saw this dom from New York, her profile, and she was just a black woman with locks standing there with this big ass strap on. And <laughs> You could see she had like armpit hair, she had stretch marks, and she was just fucking beautiful. And I was like, oh my God, the imagery, yes, you're absolutely right. The imagery. And then there was so much content people were creating as mm-hmm. black gangsters. Um and it definitely different... was a great form for yeah. like original content creators. And and absolutely. I mean, I really got into it because at the time I was doing photography and I was modeling. And so mm-hmm. I started I wanted a place to be able to connect with other content creators. And I was doing, I was doing a lot of poetry. Um, and so I had like, I used to have like a blog spot blog or whatever. And that was like dead. Nobody was using that anymore. Oh, same, so I was like, you same. know, <laughs> I was like, how can I connect, you know, how can I connect to other creators and other poets and other photographers and other models and, you know, share my stuff and see more images. Um, because at the time I was doing um, a lot of pinup and boudoir and I did not see a lot of um, basically fat black, women in those images when i would find black pinup it would be slim Mm -hmm. um a lot of times light skin and so i'm like look i'm dark skin and i'm big and i'm doing this style and so i didn't really i went there to try to find those images and that was one of the first places i was able to find um images but it's funny because like my images have circulated so much on there. People be like, this is you. Like it's still to this day. Like, And I think actually that's uh, cause I think that's how, that's when I saw some of your initial images where, where you were on Tumblr. Yeah. Probably and like, like my poetry, my um, yeah, images. Your boudoir images. Yeah. Just all it's, in these internets. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, but, if somebody tried to leak my news, I'd be like, oh, well, like you ain't going to face me because I done been all over the internets, honey. Exactly. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's probably, I mean, but it was just one of those places where I could um, share like what I was, share my content, but also be exposed to so much content. I met some mm-hmm. amazing people. Um, just it's just so dope. It just, it makes me so, so sad dope. to see what happened with Tumblr. So dope. And then just the, and also it, it makes me sad too, because there were so many people that now currently have platforms like, for instance, Kid Fury, 
followed mm-hmm. that nigga since the early days. <laughs> oh, Chelsea Curry. Yeah, her but, too. Uh, like so many people. Kid Fury following yeah. him when he used to just be uh, making videos in his apartment talking making, about Trina all the time. <laughs> right. That's what I said. Oh, bitch, you ready for the club? Or... only talking about oh, yes. Trina like every time. Yes. And yes. then Cheska Lee. I actually, I followed Cheska Lee when she was Cheska Locks. Um, yep. When she did her locks because I started my locks and um, I was looking for, you know, black like lock content creators or whatever and she was one of the first ones i found so i started following her and following her lock journey and started doing lock styles and stuff mm-hmm. based on her um so yeah it's like all this con- like it's been such a resource you know it's been a resource but also a community space to connect with mm-hmm. other people and there's not a lot of um every forum every platform doesn't provide that and so thinking about this whole concept of like love and romance and stuff it provided a platform for that too to be able to make those love connections um whether they be romantic or platonic being able to make those sexual connections those intimate connections you know everything from hookups to marriages like it's people who met yeah on time that i got married and it's people you know met so many people one night or for a lifetime whatever you know but yeah having that place to be able to go to um where you're not being judged where you can meet your kindreds um, I think is so important. And it, it really combined, it combined uh, basically representation and community and connection. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I can go to this place and see representation, like I was talking about media and stuff like that. I can see the images and the videos and the music and everything, but I can also connect with other people. And that is incredibly rare for queer people of color. Like we don't really have that you know, for straight folks, it's like, it's everywhere because everything is infused in everything. <laughs> so everything's yeah. already built for that. But when you are, you know, a queer person and you're a queer person of color, that's not how the world is set up. I know. So I can't make those connections everywhere. Yeah. That's why I like initially I had thought about TV, but then I was like, no, it's Tumblr is, I think the internet. And I was, um, I think the best explanation for how white, people experience queerdom is on tv right they have those experiences they can go to we don't Mm -hmm. we have to create our own we have created our own and we see it we're supposed to just be satisfied with yeah seeing them like even like i on on another um recording another uh, episode or whatever i talked to somebody and i mentioned the l word and i'm like the l word um i don't connect to the l word like i can watch it as a form of media and it being just like oh this is just an entertaining show but i never connected with it as a queer person like this is mm-hmm. not my queer experience my queer experience is not white middle class or white whatever like that's just not what it looks like for no. me <laughs> you know not and then i mean all. there's been some youtube content too and so that has been um oh yeah game changer you know lots of youtube content between but, women mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so i'm like i know some of the folks but um but yeah it's like being able to have that is very important um so that we're able to see just some options and mm-hmm. you know have more material to work with to make sense of the world so um and then the the last thing that i wanted to ask about was for you if there's any like connection or relationship between um like social justice this and um and your queerness or and like you know who you love how you love is there are those things intertwined for you at all yes um on two fronts so for me i feel like anytime a black person takes ownership of who they are it is a revolutionary act because we do it for ourselves that is very important for that's an important tenet to my life that I live by. If I do something out of self-love, that is my revolution. And so political also too. That's how I show up. And so that's how I walk into spaces where I'm in movements and doing that work to support not just uh, Black people, but also trans people of color black trans women especially here um how i show up for women who are sex workers or pardon me people who are sex workers who are in need of support as i have the resources to do so and the privilege to be able to do so that's a main like tenet of my life like if i'm giving the other people 
it definitely feeds me in return. Living my revolutionary life, living out loud has been a, a journey. And I think that as a Black person, especially now, and having all of these different uh, platforms that we've had, that we get to be visible, that we put ourselves on where we illustrate this is what my blackness, my queerness, my woman, womanhood, whatever. This is what I look like. That's my ritual mm-hmm. that I'm doing. That's my ritual that I get to do in public. I get to love on myself in public. Therefore, mm-hmm. those these are my politics. You know what I stand for when I'm standing in front of you with my rainbow flag, with my tits out, my fat ass out. <laughs> you get to see if I'm yelling, if I'm crying, you get to see me know what I'm standing for because I would rather do this than to die in the ways that the people who come before me have. Um, I, I, I would much rather live being myself than uh, lying to myself and lying mm-hmm. to everybody else. And even more so on, on a personal level, even if I get to interact with people who are younger or people who need, might need support, might need, mm-hmm. under, like, might need to have these conversations, it's still like, look, I'm here. These are the resources. This is what I can offer you. And I'm a raw. So I recently have been involved in what my friend Zoe Villegas has coined the whole army. Uh, we've been doing photo shoots <laughs> in support of ICE. So it's pretty much a battalion of uh, women who are either sex workers, who are allies, who are queer, various, we're all different types of things, disabled, whatever. And we've been supporting people who've been detained. Mm-hmm. So it's stuff like that that gives me, that allows me to further stand grounded in who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very important. I always say for folks who <laughs> listen to the show, I'm sure are tired of hearing me saying say it, but um, I always say like the personal is political. I mean, for me, the personal is political. Those things are very mm-hmm. much intertwined. They are not separate. My politics are not something that I put aside. Um, you know, I don't like take them off like work clothes when I get home. My politics are, I eat, eat breathe them. Um, they're very much a part of everything I do. Um, and so definitely, you know, like, like you said, living your revolutionary life um, is a radical act. And I try to tell folks that all the time, like you, your existence is radical in a world that don't want you to be here. Um, you know, that's, that's like, that's a, a revolutionary act. Even one of my favorite quotes, I included it on the email I sent out to y'all, where I was like, you know, to love in a time of injustice is a revolutionary act. Um, yes, Ingram's quote, but I just, I've always loved that quote because even that, like, to me, my, you know, my most personal thing, my most sacred thing is my wife. And even that is revolutionary to, you know, to boldly, um, visibly, as you said, um, to love her um, mm-hmm. and to be very, um, very vocal about it, very out about, and not saying you have to be out to be right. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying the existence of it um, yes. because yes. everybody's in different situations and my people already know I'm not, I don't believe in pushing folks out and I don't believe that you have to be out to be valid or none of that shit. So not that, but what I mean is just like existing in that and daring to, you know, um, proclaim like, hey, I do love this woman. This is my, you know, partner. So even something as personal as that to me, make, knowing that I'm waking up every day and I'm loving a black woman, that's radical. Mm-hmm. Um, in a world that don't love us, you know, stuff like that. So I think yes. that um, what you mentioned about, you know, living a revolutionary life and it being intertwined, um, definitely, like, I'm always <laughs> saying that. And sometimes folks be like, what? But that's what it is. I mean, ultimately, that's what it is. So I think that that is very important. Um, mm-hmm. But before before wrapping up, I want to check and see, did you have anything you want to plug or promote? Um, do you want to share like any social media handles or anything with the people if they want to keep up with you? Yes. So uh, people can feel free to add me. I'll just go down a list. Um, Facebook, I believe I'm Raven Martin. Um, and I have a fuck ice mask on there um, from my photo shoot. Instagram, I am cut the bow. Um, Twitter, I am cut the bow as well. C-U-T-T-H-E-B-O-W. 
Um, or you can actually also, if you want to like reach out to me via email or see my professional work, it is at raven-martin.com. That is R-A-V-E-N-M-A-R-T-I-N.com. And that's just about it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so <laughs> much. <laughs> so definitely, um, you know, if you want to be nosy and be all up on all the social media things and uh, you can keep up with Raven in that way across social media and online as well on the website as well. I definitely appreciate you being on the show um, and just sharing, you know, sharing some of yourself, sharing part of your story. Um, with the people. And this is important to me because I think that um, it, it boils back down to that whole representation. Um, there is, you know, other folks who will be able to identify with your experience with, you know, going, being growing up in an environment that was, um, you know, one specific way and then really gradually transitioning into your own, um, your own personhood, your own queerness, your own womanhood, all of that. Um, as you grew and explored and, and saw the world and it's like really exploring the world allowed you to explore yourself as well and mm -hmm. there will be people who either can relate to that personally or who that will give them give them you know some type of um, model or possibility of something that could happen for them I and hope so yeah you know that's what's important you know there may be folks who never even thought like hmm I might have such and such experience in another country they may have never even imagined that and mm -hmm. I think um, for me the one of the most important things about Click is to provide that for our folks because so many other people have it. You know, they can look to, you know, all over the place and see all these different possibilities of what could happen for them. And we deserve that too. So I appreciate you being a part of that. All right, y'all, for folks who are, um, whether you're new or whether you're a BRQ veteran, <laughs> um, I want to thank you for tuning in. I definitely appreciate it as always. Um, if you want to further support the podcast, you can do so by becoming a patron. Shout out to my patrons. Like y'all, y'all don't understand y'all holding me down. Um, definitely helping out. Um, but yeah, so check that out if you're interested. I'll make sure that the information is in the show notes as well as Raven's information will be in the show notes. And um, Y'all know I don't have a formal like outro. I just be like, all right, y'all, <laughs> bye. <laughs> um, so that's, you know, that's how that's going to be as usual. So thanks for tuning in, y'all. And until next time, that's it. I'm done and I'm out. Black Radical Queer is a main hustle media podcast hosted by Javia Nicole. BRQ is produced and edited by Charmaine Fury, and the show's theme music was created by The Brothers Records. You can connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at Black Rat Queer. That's B-L-K-R-A-D-Q-W-R. -R. You can also connect with us on Facebook through the Black Radical Queer Podcast Facebook fan page or the BRQ Discussion Group. You can get Black Rat Queer merch on teespring.com slash Black Rat Queer, B-L-K-R-A-D-Q-W-R. And you can leave a voicemail, call in, ask a question, those types of things on the BRQ Google Voice line. And that number is 937-601-8647. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.